Luke 18, 9 through 14, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. A parable is a short story that illustrates a spiritual truth, a spiritual reality. And throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus loved to speak in parables, to teach in parables. And the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector is one of my favorites. Um, one of my favorite verses in scripture, one of the verses that I, I most often quote to myself is Matthew 5, 3. It's the first verse in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This parable illustrates what that verse means. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're about to see what that looks like in this parable. Now, here's just a, a moment of context. Jesus and his disciples are about to enter Jerusalem where he'll soon be crucified. And as always, Jesus is surrounded by a huge crowd of Jews who've heard about or even witnessed for themselves his miracles and his teaching. In the first, uh, in the first verse, ace, uh, ver <laughs> it's one of those mornings. <laughs> in the first eight verses of this chapter, Jesus tells a parable about the importance of persistent prayer. It's another one of my favorites. And the central idea of, of that parable, the idea of being desperate for God's help permeates that parable. And this desperation for God's help, as is seen in that parable, it prompts Jesus to share this parable that I'm about to read, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, before, before I read, if you've been a Christian for a while now, if you've been a follower of Christ for a while now, I would urge you and me to not make the grievous mistake of thinking that this very basic parable that we're about to read is somehow beneath you. Right now, you might be thinking to yourself something like, ah, okay, all right, Chris, the, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. This one isn't so much for me as it is all the non-Christians in the room. You see, this parable deals with the basics of being justified before God. But I, I've been walking with, with Jesus for a while now. I've graduated from the basics and I've moved on to passages that deal with being sanctified before God. If that's you, I would urge you to listen all the more clo closely to what Jesus is about to say in this parable because he's speaking to you. He's speaking to you who have followed after Jesus for a long, long time and have somehow moved on to deeper things than the good news of Jesus. So... I'm going to pray, and then we'll read together. Father, we won't, in fact, hear what you're saying to us in this passage unless you give us ears to hear. In our own effort, we might lean forward and listen, but only you, Holy Spirit, can grant us the ability to hear and to be changed. And we would ask that you would have mercy on us, God, that in Jesus' name, you might teach us now what you have said in your word in this passage. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. He, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Years ago, a family friend named Bert applied for a job at a major construction company. Three days before his interview, the company called him and changed the location of his interview to a completely different address. And then two days before his interview, they called and they changed it again. And then the day before his interview, they called and changed the location of his interview again, the day before. On the eve of Bert's big interview, he had written down three different addresses with three different sets of instructions that coincided with each of those addresses. He really wanted that job. He needed that job, but he wasn't sure what to do. He thought to himself, well, maybe I should call just to confirm which location, but, 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 may, but I don't want to come across as incapable or unreliable. You see, the, the, he was in between a rock and a hard place. Didn't know what to do. He decided to go with his gut. This is a true story. He decided to go with his gut, and it was the right move. It was the right move. He called all three of the numbers that had called him to make all these changes. He called all three to confirm which address, which location the interview would be taking place in. And right then and there, unbeknownst to him, before the interview had even taken place, he already had the job. The company purposefully kept changing the address, hoping to confuse him because they wanted to see if he was capable of asking for help. This 
this company, major construction company in Columbus, Ohio, they weren't nearly as concerned with Bert's resume as they were Bert's character. Because on a major construction site, self-reliance is downright dangerous. And it's even more dangerous when it comes to the Christian life. That's the point of the parable that we've read this morning. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector shows us that self-reliance is even more dangerous than relying upon ourselves in a really dangerous work environment. God desires from us He desires and he deserves our faith-fueled obedience. Yes, he does. He desires and he deserves our best efforts when it comes to putting sin to death and walking in the righteousness of Christ. He does desire and deserve those things. But our relationship with him, our belonging to him, is not based upon or maintained by our good works at all. God is not looking for those who always have their acts together. Praise God. He's looking for those who, along with the hymn writer, we're going to sing this hymn in a little bit, along with the hymn writer, those who can say, nothing in my hand I bring, Simply to the cross I cling. I'm naked spiritually and I come to thee for dress. I'm helpless and I look to thee for grace. Wretched to your fount I fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. There are several ways that we could break down and consider this very simple but very profound parable. There are several ways we might break it down, but for the short remainder of our time, I'd like to break it down to two points. If you're a note taker, number one, like the Pharisee, we can get everything right, but still be wrong if we fail to see our need for Jesus. And number two, Like the tax collector, we can get everything wrong, (laughs) yet still be right if we acknowledge our need for Jesus. There is good news in this passage. Point number one, we can get everything right, but still be wrong if we fail to see our need for Jesus. The Pharisees were the Religious leaders of Jesus' day, most of us know that. The Pharisees held to a theory that if the sinful people of Israel would just get their act together, like the Pharisees, and work hard enough to perfectly obey God for just one day, if the people of Israel could get their act together and work hard enough, like the Pharisees, to 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 obey God perfectly for one day, well then God wouldn't be able to help himself but to send the promised Messiah to rescue them from their oppressors and consummate peace on earth. This was the theology of the Pharisees. 
The Pharisees were devoted to and consumed with the outward appearance of righteousness. And it is those men, the Pharisees, whom Jesus is looking right at in verse 9 as he delivers this. When he told this parable to those who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous while at the same time looking down with contempt on those who weren't as put together as they were. A Pharisee, Jesus says, went up into the temple to pray. Verse 11, he stood off by himself where all the holy people stand, right? Distinguished and set apart. And he thanked God that he was not like other men. He was better he was well-behaved. He fasted twice a week, which was even more than the law of Moses would have required. Notice in this parable how many times the Pharisee says the word, I. There's a posture of warning. For us, when we meet Jesus on that day, Chris, why? Should I let you into my kingdom that I have been building? Well, because I, Jesus, because I, because I did that, because I believe, because I took you by faith, because I, 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 simply to the cross I cling. You, because of you, because of you, because of you. That's why you should let me in. I'm not like other men, this Pharisee is celebrating. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. And I am not like that crooked tax collector over there. This Pharisee's outward posture was perfect. The Pharisees obeyed the letter of the law of Moses perfectly. In fact, they even made it harder than it already was. But the profound point of this parable that Jesus is trying to communicate to the Pharisees who are listening to him and to us now, the point of this parable is that outward perfection is not what God is looking for, never has been. What God is looking for, think back to our construction friend Bert. What God is looking for is inward humility. A, a posture of heart that knows it's poor. I don't have anything to offer you, but I want you. I don't deserve to be let into your kingdom, but I want to be there. I want to be with you. I don't have anything to offer you. This is, this is the humility that God is looking for. He's scanning the world, looking for hearts broken and contrite, who feel the weight of their own poverty, who feel their lack, and yet who want him. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. What God is looking for is a humble spirit that recognizes, hear this, that the self-assurance that often accompanies self-reliant behavior it's actually arguably more problematic than blatant sin. Than blatant, willful rebellion, the heart that rests assured in its own reliance, that's even more dangerous. 
We need to remember that we are saved by grace when we fail, Tim Keller once wrote, Pastor Tim Keller. I'll read this again. We need to remember that we are saved by grace when we fail, but we need to remember it much more when we succeed. When we've had that pretty good day of obeying the Lord, oh, it is all the more important for us to remember we're saved by grace, by unmerited favor. Before any of our good works were ever done, saved in Jesus. As I stated at the beginning of our time, if you've been a Christian for a while now, I have two, but I'm going to address you. If you've been a Christian for a while now, I would urge you not to make the mistake of thinking that this very basic parable is somehow beneath you because Jesus is saying it to you right now by his Holy Spirit. What are some indicators that we might be trusting in ourselves as righteous? It's a good question to ask always. How about performance how about a performance-driven relationship with God? You know, we keep real close attention to all of the things that we're doing, the boxes that we're checking off. Tithed, yes. I served, yes. I prayed for my neighbor, yes. I had a time of devotions today, yes. Yes, check, 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 check. Okay, now I have a need, God, and I'm gonna bring it to your attention, and I really think that you're probably gonna be obliged to answer me because look at all of these things that, look at my behavior. I bet if we were to go around the room and ask one another, you know, when do you feel most accepted in a moment of prayer? When do you feel most confident that the Lord is gonna hear you and grace you with provision? I bet you, you feel that way most often after a day when you've just killed it and you've been doing the Lord's will. That's not how grace works. That's not how grace works. What are some other indicators that we might be trusting in ourselves as righteous? Being overly, here, this is me. Oh, this is me. Being overly concerned with outward appearance. Gosh, I love to look righteous. I hate to be humiliated in having people see me for who I am. I hate that. I hate to be wrong. I hate to have to ask for forgiveness. I love having a neat and tidy ducks in a row posture. I also love to boast and brag in my own heart quietly. The Pharisee in this parable has the audacity to say these things out loud. I just think them in my mind, don't you? I thank God. We just got back from a, a trip. We took our eldest daughter to New York City we just got back from a trip. I thank God that I'm not, look at the wretches around me. I thought that. And the wretches right here, saved by grace. How about false humility? Here's another indicator that we are trusting in ourselves as righteous when it's easy for me to get up behind you. And, oh, I'm prone to this. And oh, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna appear as humble. Like I'm, I'm confessing something to you. But what I really love is when you hear how humble I am and then you tell me how humble I am. Do you see how arrogance lurks 
in the shadows of false humility. Quick to judge, look down our noses at one another. I would never do what they're doing, right? How about theological arrogance? Gosh, if only he or she would just read her Bible. They don't know anything about what they're talking about. See, if it were me, here's how, right? Prone to holding others to dogmatic standards that we impose upon ourselves. I think a whole generation of church folk grew up through this. If you didn't have a shirt and tie or a certain, you know, a handkerchief, or if you didn't, you know, you were going to be judged as soon as you walked in. All of this, all of this is, these are indicators of we just might be trusting in ourselves, in our own righteousness, than in the righteousness that Christ gives to beggars. In the first half of this parable, I'm just gonna cut to the chase here. Self-righteousness keeps the Pharisee from acknowledging his ongoing need to be saved and it therefore keeps him from being justified altogether. Only one man in this parable goes home justified according to Jesus and it's not the man we would have thought that's sobering. The kingdom of heaven is going to be filled. It already is filled with beggars and beggars only. Point number one, like the Pharisee, we can get everything right. We can get everything right on the outside, but still be wrong if we fail to see our ongoing, unceasing need for Jesus and his mercy blood. Point number two, like the tax collector, we can get everything wrong. <laughs> I pray that we don't get everything wrong. We should, be, we should be walking in progressive sanctification. We should be looking more and more and more like Jesus on a daily basis as we put sin to death. But... Here's the gospel, is that we can get everything wrong and yet still be right in God's eyes if we simply acknowledge our ongoing need for Jesus to justify us. That's it. That is as simple as it gets, and that is the good news. Everything from concept to completion for your salvation and mine, and if you are here and you've not trusted this message yet do so now everything from concept to completion to bring you home into everlasting renewed creation with Jesus and all the saints everything that has been that is required for that has been accomplished in the life death and resurrection of Jesus it's all done it's all done do you believe that will we continue to believe that we never graduate from this, ever. The tax collectors of Jesus' day, kind of like the tax collectors of our day, <laughs> were at the rock bottom of the moral ladder. If there was a moral ladder, they were at the bottom. In the eyes of the Pharisees, the tax collectors were the ones responsible for keeping the Messiah at bay. If they would just obey the law perfectly for one day, the Messiah would come and all this would be over. But it's the tax collectors, right? So it's, it's very, very, very um, 
purposeful that Jesus uses these two examples in this parable, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Jesus flips the notion on its head in verse 13. Here, this tax collector stands far off, well away from all of the religious people who are in the temple. And the tax collector, oh, let this be us, Lord. The tax collector is so aware of his sin, he can't even really lift his eyes up to the heavens while he prays. He knows he has no right to come near the throne of a perfect, holy, triune God. He knows he's disqualified. And he pounds his chest in remorse and the only words he can utter, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. As Tim Keller once again wrote, the irony of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that the only way to be worthy of it is to admit, to come to acknowledge you're completely unworthy of it. It's paradoxical. This greatest news the world will ever hear is, is so paradoxical the world cannot understand it. Thus we need the Holy Spirit to convince our hearts and our minds of it. God have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. If this were the posture of every single saint in the church gathered together on a Sunday morning, wouldn't that just absolutely change the environment? We're all coming in here on absolutely equal terms, equal playing field because we are all beggars just looking for life. And he supplies it. And when we're all beggars, then we all feel okay and unashamed to be the beggars we are and to simply beg together. What a beautiful atmosphere that would be. And may it be so here in this congregation. At the very moment in this parable when the, when the, when the tax collector cries out, God have mercy on me, on me I'm a sinner. In this parable and, and in life, in real life, whenever a sinner says, God have mercy on me for I am a sinner, in that moment you better believe heaven is having a rave of a party right then and there. The angels are dancing and singing glory. They would have rejoiced in this parable just like the father, the, the prodigal son. When the prodigal son is making his way toward the porch, he's coming home. The father runs out to him, abandons all dignity just to hug him and kiss him and to welcome him in. So our heavenly father rejoices every time any single one of us cries out, have mercy on me. I know my place. I know what I deserve. And it's way down there beneath Sheol in the depths of hell. That's what I deserve. But that is not what I have received. On the merits of your son, I've received so much more. Because the only qualification for receiving God's mercy is knowing our need for it. 
Our only, the only qualification for receiving God's mercy is knowing our need for it. Verse 14, the exalted, those who think of themselves as, as pretty well off, pretty darn righteous, those who think of ourselves as, gosh, I bet the Lord is pretty excited to have me on his team because I kind of kill it like when it comes to evangelizing and I'm really brave to go up on the street to people and, and also I serve my neighbors. Like I know the Lord's, he's really kind of lucky to have me on his team. The exalted will be brought down. And those who start down where they deserve to be, they will be lifted up by none other than Jesus himself. The exalted will be humbled for eternity. And those who are humbled now will be exalted for eternity. Grace, by definition, can only be received by those who know they don't deserve it. Grace is for those who know they need help. Grace is for the lost. Grace is for those kind of like me several times in New York City this week. Yikes, I have no idea where I'm at. And my GPS is going all over the place. I just need someone to tell me where I am and then I need him or her to take me where I need to go. That's a, it's an illustration of the gospel because Jesus does that for us why it's good news we can get everything wrong this side of heaven but in Christ we still are justified now don't you hear me for one second giving license for all of us to just go about our lives tossing things to the wind I'm saved by grace I get to live and do and speak and think however I want I get to cast it all to the wind and just adopt the ways of the world no heart that has truly been cut by the good news will ever say that, will ever do that. The heart that has been cut, rent into by the good news of Jesus goes, oh my God, you have saved me despite me. And now you've given me your Holy Spirit and your Holy Word that I would have the joy of walking ever more deeply into what you desire for me. I'm in. I am all in. And I need your help to put to death the ways of the world. And I need your help to armor up and to walk in the righteousness that already clothes me in Christ. No true recipient of the grace of Jesus Christ will ever abuse it. They won't. Not for any length of time, anyway. We can get everything wrong. We won't, because the Holy Spirit has indwelled us. We can get everything else wrong, but if we get Jesus right with a mustard seed of faith saying this, please forgive me. If that is you, you already have everything right. And now you get to walk in it should God give us a new day. 
and then another one, and then another one, and then another one. And then we get to shine as lights against the backdrop of this darkening world and advocate for how good this good news really is to those who are dying to hear it. Our righteousness is nothing in us that we can produce. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the 19th century, 20th century preacher, once said. It's a tremendous awareness of our utter nothingness that brings us face to face with God. That is what it means to be poor in spirit. The way to become poor in spirit is to look at God and then to look at his book to immerse ourselves in it and to contemplate what he expects from those who would be his. To contemplate what he expects to then look upon our Lord Jesus and to view him as we see him in the gospels. To look at him over and over and over and the more we look at Jesus, the more hopeless in and of ourselves we should feel because we don't compare one iota that's what it means to start becoming poor in spirit to look at Jesus Martin Lloyd-Jones says and to keep looking at him and then to look at the saints who have faithfully walked according to God's word as filled by the Holy Spirit and then to look back at Jesus again and you'll have nothing to do in and of yourself. You'll, you'll feel the weight of your own waywardness, your own pull. This, this is the key to humility of focusing, fixing your eyes on the perfection of Christ and even some saints who look a lot like him. And then to look back at yourself, to look at the word, it's this constant cyclical pattern and you'll, you'll see how much you need and how much I need a savior again and again and again. Then you can say to Jesus, Martin Lloyd-Jones finish, with arms lifted, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling from now until the end. So, like the Pharisee, we can get everything right but still be wrong if we fail to see our need for Jesus. But like the tax collector, we can get everything wrong, hallelujah, and still be right if we get Jesus, our Savior, right here. And we trust his completed work again and again and again and again. This is good news. Let's pray and we'll continue to sing. Oh, Father, uh, this is your word that we have spent moments in. And we ask that you would give to us not ears to listen. We have that in and of ourselves. We have physical ears that listen. But we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would have given us and would give us ears to hear. And that, Lord, we... that we would be willing, like my family friend Bert, to again and again and again, even though we think we should be a lot further down the road, even though we think we should be a lot more mature than we are, that we would have the ability again and again and again to call, to cry out and say, I need help, I need clarification, I need rescue, I need salvation, I need the mercy of, of nothing less than the cross of, of Christ. 
Help us to be a people that are always coming back to this and help us to be a church that, Lord, that our posture together, when we're together, is one that nothing in our hands we bring, but together, together and always, simply to the cross we will cling. By grace we are saved through faith, and this is your gift to us, not because of our works that we should boast, because we shouldn't be boasters, but only in the cross of Christ we boast. Help us to now sing as those who have received everything from concept to completion, we are yours because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Help us to sing like that. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.